Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. My name is Diego, together with my host, Jean-Luc. Welcome back to episode 78. Hey, Jean-Luc, I got a confession. I was going to listen to old episodes, and we actually skipped episode 72. We skipped episode 72? Yeah, in the numbering system. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, I guess that will be a hidden episode. <laughs> yeah, no, when we yeah. when we release when we release episode 100, we'll release episode 72. It's a it's a secret <laughs> episode. Yeah, for so for people that are tuning in now, they, you're the first to hear it. There will be a secret episode number 72. So when we reach 100 episodes, look out for it. 100 yeah. episodes also means that we will be at two years of social confos. So that is pretty interesting as well. Yeah, definitely. So I'm actually uh, just quick update from my end. Uh, I finally got the workflow through of all the previous episodes that still published. So most of them, them have gone through the first phase. So now it's just going through them. If all is well, I should have all of them done by the end of this weekend. And then we should be just, just gradually push them thing. along. Yeah. Just gradually push them under like there's no pressure. So <clears throat> we were briefly discussing my studio, and, and please put this in quotation marks, my studio yeah. setup, <laughs> my studio setup current. I actually like this kind of minimalistic setup. There's like one, one main light that puts like, gives like a little bit of a, a, an extra dimension that there's actually some backlight, which I kind of like. It's very black and white. There's not too much contrast. I kind of. I'm actually enjoying this setup. So that's why I'm interested. Put a black and white filter on your video. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a very easy setup. I should watch out if I come too close. It might collide a little bit or it will be a little bit too much light coming in from the front. But in general, I, I kind of like this setup. And, and you'll see in earlier episodes, either there was a backdrop or I would have headphones and a mic. I kind of skipped that for now, just because the, the, the PC, the, the MacBook that I'm using is already it's six years old. So it's already a couple of years old before, before I bought it. So it, I feel like it doesn't optimize quite as much. So yeah, I have to do a, a studio renovation or actually upgrade. And I have to upgrade my, my laptop at a certain point as well. So if we're, if we're looking at talking that up. For you, priority, which, which one was the first thing you want to resolve to up the... The first thing I want to do is finish yeah. my loop. So, okay. so to be clear, there's like one main priority in this year. Like there, there are many others. Like we can talk like taking the next step with our business, with Ineffable. We can talk about... The social media conference that is coming back to a physical conference this year. We can talk about me getting more involved with the family business. We can talk about other projects that I'm doing on the side. But the main, the main thing for me this year is putting out a book. Yeah, let's, let's zoom in on that uh, for a second, the book. So I think a few, few months now, you publicly, you know, announced that you're writing a book and it's a big project, got a list and for the social media, well, will the marketing world in San Diego kind of had the outline ready for the book. So give us a quick status update on where you're at with the book and then we'll go from there. So to, to be completely transparent, I, I signed in San Diego with a self-publishing school. And the self-publishing school has been helping me with the process of getting the book published. So I do actually get some coaching. I'm in certain groups, like for instance, today we were in a writing room and that really helps me out because you're there with other writers. So actually what, one of the, yeah. What what's that look like when you say coaching with other writers? What, what do people not understand or? What should people expect when you're writing a book and you're being coached? 
but do people not see the writing process that you think it's important to know? Okay. First of all, I think people like, especially non-writers like myself, like there are people out there who have written books or are writers and it's their second, third, fourth book, or they had been blogging for years. So for them, it's kind of different because it's a different approach. But for first time writers, I think one of the most difficult things is just getting starting to write. Like you're, we're talking about around 30,000 words minimum and 30,000 words minimum is, it's, it's not that much if you like, or if you're consistent, but it, it is a lot to, to write on a, on a topic, on a subject. So I think that's one of the things that gets underestimated a lot. And then the writing room is really a room that you get in with other writers. At the beginning of the writing room, you say like, hey, this is my goal for today. Everybody turns their sound and camera off and you just start writing. But it's just to make sure that you're actually committed to actually writing in that block, that, uh, that time block that you, that you kind of reserve specifically for writing. And then afterwards, of course, you kind of tune back in and, and say all and when, and, and you kind of share stories. And it's good because we, for instance, I have, I have certain struggles, which others writers are now saying like, oh yeah, that we, we've been through that or we're having a similar experience at the moment. And that kind of, it, it makes, it, you're not alone anymore. Whereas when you're writing alone, it's like, if you get into a writer's block, whenever you get stuck, if the structure doesn't work, you're on your own. Whereas now you're kind of in, in a group. I wouldn't call it a mastermind necessarily. But there is kind of this work, oh, like work, work group. Yeah. And then you have the other people actually writing. Yeah. You see, now we, we turn our cameras off, but, okay. but that's, that's the gist of it. But the, the personal coaching is, is on a whole other, that's a different level. That's really like somebody who's experienced, who has coached like uh, at least a hundred people, a hundred books, and they kind of give you some insights into, okay, what are the things that you they keep you on the right path and putting you on the right path is more about asking the right questions. And it's, it's kind of a therapy set, therapy, therapy, where I, where I kind of like, this is, this, this is happening. And my coach does a really good listener job listening and then really like really specific questions and, and things like, that what, what, what the that kind of more than needed or confronted you to really think deeply about well, that, that's the good thing about it. Like I only recently I've really started picking up the writing again. So for today, I wrote 1171 words, okay. 1100 words, almost 1200 words. That's the most I've written in a day. Like at least for the book. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice, nice piece. It was also about social media with kind of which is my core, which made it a little bit easier because that section of the book is kind of like, it's, it's 10 years of knowledge just dripping out. Whereas other parts, I still have to like, I have to fact check if what I'm saying is actually correct. This part is like all from practical experience. So very, very different process. But over the past months, you know, the unplanned trip to, to Cuba, getting back in the rhythm, catching up with work, so it kind of started sliding back down and the accountability of that, having a coach like means like before I have the session, I'm already okay. Like, what am I going to do that I don't screw up as in try to be in at least two writing rooms a, a week, making sure that I, I commit to actually writing daily. And since I've been doing that, I actually had a streak of six days straight writing last week and then I broke it at the weekend. So now I have to figure out how do I keep writing at the weekend as well, that, that my, my streak doesn't get broken. But what my coach helped me with is, is accepting the fact like, hey, listen, you run a full-time business. So whenever you run a full-time business, the writing book is always on the priority list. It's always going to be at the bottom. Like, unless you put it at the top, like say, listen, I'm not available in this time frame and that time frame of the day, unless you put it on at the top, I mean, you're stuck. So I think one of the things that really 
really is like, like he didn't say to me, like, listen, if you don't take it serious, you're going to fail. But he made sure that I was aware, like, if I don't make it a priority myself, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's my book. I want to have it published by this year. Nobody else is pressuring me to publish it by this year. I just know if I'm going to postpone it to 2023, the book might never get finished. So how far in are you say like, is the minimum 30,000 world that's the 30,000? No, that's not, it's not. Or I mean, how is that classified? I mean, like you have different letters, letter sizes, letter type sizes. So I mean, you can cheat around a little bit with it, with it as well. So I wouldn't say specifically like, Hey, that's what you should do. I want to have a rough draft around, around 25 to 30,000 words. I still want to do a lot of interviews to kind of go a little bit more in depth into certain things. How, how do you take off that number? Like, did you decide that? Now that's something we, we discussed, which I discussed with my coach. What is he like a 150 page book? What, what would that be? How many words would that be? And we came, I came around or oh, 30,000 at least. And I think I'm at, I think I'm around 13,000, 14,000. So around 40%, 30%. Well, I think the rough draft is going to be 25,000. Yeah. So I think I'm already over 50% and half of what I've written, I've written over the last 10 days. So I'm in a pretty good flow. I want to have it, the, the rough draft done by the end of August. And I did have to change my structure a little bit. And the main concern that I have now is if the writing styles of the first part of the book and the second part of the book match, but that's something that you shouldn't be taking, taking into consideration in your rough draft. In your rough yeah, draft, right. you just have to write. So at this moment, I'm just saying like, I have to finish by the end of August because that gives me another month to really dive back into the material and say like, I want to write things differently. Then the real coaching starts, by the way, because then I am actually going to learn how to self-edit because I've never self-edited my, my own writing before. I mean, I didn't, I don't even screen for typos and, 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 dra and grammar, those kind of things. So that will be something new for me as well. So I, I know like at the process, you have a writer, you have editors, you have, what does editing entail and how would this, like, if, if you have, would have external editors, why approach it through self-editing? How, how does that work? Or why was this suggested, this approach suggested? Okay. So <clears throat> to be honest, I'm not sure yet. I think what, what the biggest difference is that like right now I'm just writing, getting as many words in as possible, writing everything I know about a topic. And then you, you're going to self edit. Then you're going to see like, does the, 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 actually the narrative flow, like, is there an actual narrative? Does the narrative work? How do I fit the narrative? So one of the things that you, that you're constantly with is like, there are certain sub chapters where I can't seem to figure out. Well, after I'm writing, I'm like, should I switch them? Should this chapter sub chapter become before the other one? Why not? And those are kind of things that you're going to do in yourself at it. Say like, Hey, the flow of the, of the book will be better. If a certain sub chapter comes first, then the other, what do you introduce when, what is the style that you're gonna, going to use? You want a book to be a little bit personal and not like this heavy kind of written text. And that's also where it becomes really difficult for me because I do have a creative real writing style, which I might get into a little bit, but I also have kind of the academic writing style. Mm -hmm. So I switch between creative writing and academic okay. writing and academic writing. It just doesn't work. It's like really boring text. And there are some segments which are like, I even go into my. Get on that sentence on creative women, they create stuff. No, creative is just, it, it's just my blog posts are, are fun things that I like to write about. Oh yeah. And, 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 and the academic is more like I dive a little bit into Michel Foucault and Heterotopias, which is like really this, it's like a rabbit hole. If, if you really go into that, you can, you can get, really get lost. 
into philosophy, like uh, philosophy on the South, philosophy on belonging for its spaces. It's, it's, it, it, it becomes a real rabbit hole. So I try to avoid it as much as possible, but I do also take into consideration my background. Like I've studied leisure studies. Like we joke around like, <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you, you study leisure studies. So you know how to, to go about with your spare time. Yeah. But also, I also approach leisure, leisure or leisure as from a scientific perspective. So I actually feel like how you spend your time on social media as part of the of, of, mm -hmm. of social science. So I do feel like I should at least incorporate it some way or another. And the same goes with, with I don't know, I, I'm pretty much a believer in using your own DNA. So I come from a school of thought where the DNA of the city decides on how you should develop your city. So it's nice to say like, yeah, part of our should is, should be this really great city and we should have this and that. And, and we kind of want to be like Dubai or something like that, whereas your, the dynamics of the city don't match. I think we went into this with Rajiv a little bit where he asked me like, based on the DNA from the different Surinamese districts, how would you build Suriname? Kind of that narrative saying like, hey, when a certain city or a district has certain, a certain style of industry in place, you should build your city around that industry and not try to be another city or something else because you don't have the infrastructure. Yeah. Same goes with, same goes with companies. Like a lot of companies are like, yeah, we want to be that kind of company or that kind of company, but they don't have the resources to do that actually. So I dive into that as well from a, from a social media and an online marketing perspective that like you have a certain DNA as a company and like you can try to cheat the system to use the internet or to use social media for your branding to be perceived as different. But in the end, it's still going to be your DNA. So people that know you well, your customers, they're, they're there because they like your product or your service or they like you. So it doesn't matter how you try to portray yourself online. Eventually, people are going to get to the center of it. If they don't like it, they're just going to leave. So I do want to dive into that a yeah, little bit. I don't want to go to that, too in-depth on that. Yeah, before we sidetrack into the DNA part, I, I do want to bring back up I also remember, was it last year? You also started on hype writing different blog posts, chapters that would compile into a book. So I'm kind of thinking back now, how much of that content? Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Applicable so, to this book or like, well, what happened to that? Okay. So let's, let's first jump into, to Marlon saying he uses WhatsApp. So. I use, I like when it comes to business, I, I, when it comes to business training, I write on half a note, but I currently don't. I just write uh, a word, yeah, word document at the moment. Yeah. I use Evernote most of yeah. the time, but at the moment I'm just writing in a word document and for, for the community part, I use Hive. Marlon, the reason I use Hive is because you get upvoted and you actually earn from writing as well. So the, the question that Diego you're asking is. I've written at least 10 chapters on the history of the internet. So, uh, Rajiv, to be honest, not just the book NFT, the, the book might come with an NFT, but we're getting way ahead of ourselves because if there's no book, there's no NFT. So the NFT comes after the book. We need to write the book first. <laughs> <laughs> so first the book, the book has to be finished and then we'll talk about the NFT. I might actually need some help as well, but. I've participated in, I think like three writing, writing challenges as writing challenge months, national, the national blog posting month. I think the national blog posting month on Hive, I've joined, I think three times already. And the longest I've managed to go was two weeks. But one of the times that I joined, I started writing about the history of the internet. And of that, of those articles, there is some one or two articles that I actually blog post that I actually incorporated in the book, but not all 14. I think most of it, because I don't want to write a book about the history of the internet, because that's not my strong suit. I do want to incorporate the history of social media into the book, just so people have a, a general understanding of where we came from. 
I also do talk about the power struggle between Google and, and, and Facebook or Alphabet and Meta, if you want to call them by their official names. And so I do feel like that's, that's an interesting topic to touch upon. So I, I have incorporated it in the book. Okay. So if you guys are interested in getting a teaser, which two chapters are those? Do you know the chapter numbers to refer people to your high blog post? Yeah, I, I think, I think the one, I think I, I have to go into, so there's definitely one that goes into web 2.0, like the beginning of web 2.0, how we started with Wikipedia, Wikipedia being kind of like the first website where people who are, are users, people who are visitors to the website actually got to put in content into the website. So I think that's one of the first, and it wasn't really called web 2.0. But that made the transition possible from, from, from blogging, like where the website, Web.0, where you had the website was, the website was owned by a company or by a person. Yeah, it was great traffic. And they would put the content on it. And we went to, from that to a website where everybody that visits is also allowed to put content on it. And that basically is the starting point for social media. So without Web 2.0, there would be no social media. And right. I think that's, that's, that's the part that I felt like, and I had to be in the book. Uh, circling back to, yeah, that on DNA, but before we go into that, at a deep pass, you know, uh, thanks for sharing your uh, writing a book journey. So how do you deal with writer's block? You already mentioned you have a coach and the uh, writing sessions. Uh, is there anything else that. So I don't really have a writer's block in the sense that. I pretty much know what I want to write about. Everything is already kind of in the back of my head. Where I do have a challenge is when I want to talk about something that is not my core. Like something like talking about a social media dream team. I mean, I, I kind of, in the past month, there are at least three companies that I've had strategic sessions with where I talk about a social media dream team. So that kind of, that subchapter is kind of, free-flowing in itself. It's just, I just say what I would say at a strategic session and I just write it out on paper. I think that's easy. But then it gets more difficult as in transitioning in from decentralization to Web3 and how Tencent and ByteDance, that said, being the company that owns the three biggest or three of the four biggest social media platforms or messengers in China, of which one is WeChat and then I think QQ and one more. So how Tencent and, and ByteDance, ByteDance is the owner of the and of TikTok, how they kind of infiltrated in the Ethereum, which was previously, previously the Google Facebook Imperium. There was no competition. TikTok. Now at the moment is already is is already over one one billion billion users, which is is massive, and it's active. Twitter, yeah, active users. Twitter was never there. LinkedIn was never there. Pinterest was never there. Snapchat was never there. So all of a sudden, there's this competitor that there wasn't there before, and you do have to put that into the book somehow, and then you have to somehow transition the storyline to Web three. Because one of the interesting parts is that when we came to the internet, for a second, you just mentioned the dream team. How does that? No, no, no. So the dream team is something else. The dream team is like the team you need to have when you're, you're going to do social media marketing. This is the team you're going to need. So that's the easy thing to write. The hard thing to write is how do I transition from the storyline of uh, China becoming a, a, a player, or at least Chinese companies becoming a major player in the international uh, social media and internet marketing, and how that translates to Web3. Because just remember, <laughs> when the internet started to take off in the early 90s, there was a lot of conversation about creating nationalized internet streams. So nationalized internet being the U.S. would have their own internet. Italy would have their own internet. Germany would have their own internet. Yeah. And your internet access would be based on the nation where you live in. <clears throat> in other words, your government would decide for you which website you could visit and which website you couldn't visit. 
to a certain point, it's still there, but it led to Tim Berners-Lee with a, with a web, the, the WWW, yeah, the open protocol, triple, yeah, the open protocol, the worldwide love protocol, which means that all the websites on the internet are based on the same code. So if it wasn't for that code or for the worldwide web introduction, our governments would decide for us which websites we would visit, which for most of the world is no longer the case, but for China, it still is. Like, I think there's one, chi- one, one city in China where it's legally allowed to use Facebook for tourists, but not actually for people living there. So you were mentioning China now, right? Is Hong Kong, clarify that for me, is Hong Kong still in the- Oh, you don't want to, you don't even want to go into Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, China. That's, that's completely different. Yeah, that, that, that one, Taiwan is totally separate, but the, the Hong Kong situation is, has been totally bigger. Well, no, so, so here's, here's the thing. Yeah. When you watch too much YouTube, you know, these kinds of things. So. There was like a treaty. No, there was a treaty between China and Hong Kong, which was based off the UK. So the UK had a treaty where Hong Kong would be independent for a hundred more years. And I think that the treaty of a hundred years expired recently. And there's a very interesting political system on how the parliament gets voted in Hong Kong. And let's just say it's not a fair system. So if all the people you have, you have people that get voted in through the public and you get people that are voted in through the private sector. So uh, in other words, Hong Kong was still an independent state. It was independent because there was a treaty. I, I don't know the exact treaty or what the treaty was about, but it was a treaty. With the which, UK, which where they had access to Western media and, and such. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and, and China has a one China policy where they're now saying like, hey, the treaty is done. It's officially over. So Hong Kong now is officially part of, of, of China. And the, 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 the system, the parliament system, voting system is also kind of rigged because even if the, if, if the, the the public votes a hundred percent, but they cannot get the majority of the, of the seats in the parliament. So there's, 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 I think there's something I, I, again, it's just a yeah. video. I, I don't know actually what the political yeah. is. Maybe yeah. yeah. you got some rough knowledge though about it, but yeah. coming back. It's to... not really knowledge. I would have called it, I definitely would not call it research. But bringing that back into the context of, you know, a topic you're writing about and then TikTok uh, taking over, like being owned by uh, a Chinese company and infiltrating like the rest of the world market. Yeah. How, how do you further look into that? It's really interesting. And like, so we did a, a, a music video. We produced a, a music video for, for Tali. Well, she's an international artist from Surinamese origin and her last music video, or I think she already released another one as well, but we got to shoot one of her music videos in Suriname. And now there's a campaign by McDonald's Suriname. So it's McDonald's Suriname. There's a campaign going, a TikTok dance campaign going at the moment. And the interesting thing about the campaign is McDonald's Suriname is verified on TikTok. And I mean, it's been verified from the beginning. So when that was to get the huh? verification, how, how easy it was it to get that verification? I'm not sure. I don't know. And if I knew, I wouldn't be able to disclose the information. I just know the TikTok account was verified from the start that when it, it came, became public, it was verified, but it's McDonald's. So, I mean. Like if, if another, like a local factory would, would reach out to TikTok, uh, most likely, I mean, we can try now. We can say like, Hey, could we get fair? But most likely no, but it, it, it really like on the comments of the first TikTok they posted, 
it was like people going crazy over the fact that, oh my God, it's verified. How can it be verified with less than 200 followers? How can it this? How can it that? And I'm still learning on when it comes to TikTok. And the, the main thing that interests me about TikTok is TikTok is slowly transitioning in from this niche-based platform where you really had to be able to make certain kind of content to just a general video content platform. Whereas it's not just dance videos and comedy that gets posted on TikTok, but it's actually any kind of content gets posted there as well. Because of the high organic reach that it has, like a lot of companies, a lot of people just are using it, slicing like, hey, I can post this, this video on, on Facebook and I will get like three people to five people responding or I can post it on TikTok where I can get like 10 to 20 to other people responding. Could you elaborate on that? How TikTok still maintains the high organic reach compared to something like Instagram and Facebook? Okay, so let's start with not necessarily early Facebook, but early international Facebook. So let's take Facebook around 2011, 2012. Yeah, so Facebook around 2011, 2012, people were just getting aware of Facebook. Like maybe a third of the people that are on it now were on it. So there were a lot of people that heard about it, but they weren't, they weren't active. So it was really easy to grow on Facebook in 2011, 2012, especially, but especially. Yeah. That's also a different like uh, demographic, like the whole. Web to social no, 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 no. But but at, at that moment in 2012, in 2012, in 2012, Suriname had one of the highest percentages of teenagers on Facebook. So we have to understand that that's in 2012, like 15% of the users on Facebook was under the age of 18 in Suriname. Like people forget that. Now it's less than 10%. So at the time it was Facebook was pretty much also for teenagers. There were also teenagers on Facebook, a lot. But as the, the demographic changed and older people got on it, they went and looked for new platforms. But in the beginning, it was pretty much also teenage-based. And it was really easy to grow on Facebook, especially if you were advertising, because now everybody's advertising. Now Facebook is really pushing. But if you would advertise for $1 a day, on, on Facebook in 2011, 2012, within a year, you would have like 40,000 followers. Now, there's a difference between having those 40,000 followers and actually getting engagement, engagement when you post, because a lot of people who were active on Facebook in 2011, 2012 are no longer active. So they still count as your followers in 2022, but they won't see your post. So that's also something, but at least it was really easy to grow on Facebook and that can be Instagram. So I think Instagram peaked around 2017, 2018 in Suriname, where it was really easy to grow on, on Instagram compared to Facebook because Facebook was maturing and Instagram was this up and coming platform. And if you would be consistent and posted on a daily basis, you could also pretty much grow. And if you would advertise on Instagram, for $1, like in the early, early stages, oh man, you, you'd get a lot of interaction, like really a lot of interaction. So is it? And, and now getting to the, getting to TikTok, it's kind of, TikTok now is kind of in the stage of 2000, maybe 17 Instagram, 2013 Facebook. And then what you have to imagine, why, why is it the organic, the organic reach better? So on Facebook, Anybody can post. Like you can just say, I like social confos and that's a Facebook post. You can just literally go to Facebook. You can write, I like social confos. You post it and it's done. And somebody else can go, I don't like social confos. And they already post and you're done. So like anybody can post on Facebook. Your mom, your dad, your grandfather, your grandmother, your niece, your nephew, your neighbor, everybody can post on Facebook. It's not that difficult. You just go on Facebook, you type something and you post it. So everybody is a content creator on Facebook. So you're competing literally with everybody on Facebook. So there is a lot of content on Facebook because everybody knows how to post on Facebook. It's not rocket science. 
you just press post and you're, you're done. So on Instagram, it gets a little bit more difficult because now all of a sudden you can't just say, I like social goggles. You're required to upload a photo. Even if you upload official just with text, you still have to know how to do that. And most of the time you rather upload a photo. So you have to understand how to upload photos, which is not hard, but you have to make the photo first. So the threshold for creating content for Instagram compared to Facebook is already very, very different. I think I see where you're doing it. Yeah. So there, now we go to, yeah. So now we go to TikTok. To creating our open content, which. Exactly. So now we go to TikTok. Creators and more consumers. So the, the, the less supply of created content is uh, probably the faster to more creator, uh, more, more consumers. Uh, exactly. Sorry for the. So, no, no, no. You, you for the people who want, uh, want the, the finished version of the train of thought on TikTok, like you said, they're less creators. Why are there less creators? Because you go from Facebook where you can just say, I like social confluence to Instagram, putting out actually a photo and putting a caption on to TikTok, where you have to have a piece of video whether the video is created to the TikTok app or you separately upload the video, you're, you're going to have to be able to create video content for, for being able to post. So on TikTok, you have a lot of lurkers, like the biggest percentage of people just watch and a very small percentage actually puts out content. So the advantage that you have is because there's such a small percentage creating content, that percentage gets seen more Gets through the algorithm better, get yeah, the create an easier path to growth until organic growth, like significantly higher. Until everybody knows how to make video, yeah. which will happen in the next five years. So, quick question from yeah. or quick comment from Rajiv: Like TikTok vendors choose his best stories, like hundred times less than How accurate is that? TikTok is more video focus, I would imagine this being more intensive. So I have no idea how they did it, but there's a lot of technology that goes behind it. And I think if you, you could only really test it if Instagram would run the same way as TikTok does, which they don't. Because we now think like, yeah, is that true? But I can imagine there's some truth into that because in TikTok, you, up, you load a video and it gets loaded and loaded and loaded all over again. So you have to really be efficient, efficient with your bandwidth. I do also know that Facebook is quite notorious for lowering the resolution or the quality as well. So for instance, if I really want to resize a video, like quick resize, and I really want to break the size down by 75%, I upload a video on Facebook, like private, and then I download the video again. And it's already 70, 75% smaller than it used to be. Yeah, I think a few years ago, MTBHD did this test on YouTube actually with the compression. Yeah. <laughs> so the compression for Facebook is already insane because you had Facebook Zero. I don't know if you remember Facebook Zero. <laughs> so Facebook Zero was an initiative to kind of make Facebook free. So in Suriname, we had Digisal who kind of had Facebook for free for, for a couple of years. And they were able to do it. The people with uh, data plans on their phones for free, they could browse the savage minute free. No, no, it wasn't like literally free. So you could, without having a data plan, you could browse Facebook for, I think, two or three years in, in <laughs> at a certain point. And the reason for that being was Digisal had a partnership. So the headquarters had a partnership with a Facebook Zero, or at least on the Wikipedia of Facebook Zero, Digisal was, was listed as one of those partners. And Facebook Zero would basically be, you get a stripped down version of Facebook, which preloaded images and text. But if you were to want to watch a video, you would have to use data. And to enable, to enable, to, in order to enable Facebook Zero, they had, Facebook had to cut down a lot on bandwidth because they were kind of giving the internet away for free. So they had to seriously compress videos and, and images as well. 
So Facebook actually has a very, it's also very well known for data compression. But it's interesting that Rajiv mentioned that the TikTok bandwidth efficiency is even better than Facebook's is. That would be interesting. I think I also read somewhere that a lot of Snapchats, Snapchat developers were headhunted by, by TikTok as well. Yeah, I, I can. I can actually see that. That's basically how that works. Yeah. Which aren't from each other. So yeah, to social media conference this year is going to be in person. So I imagine TikTok is going to be big, a big topic again. So what can people expect or can you lean into the other bit? So I don't know if there's going to be a specific, yeah, I think there's at least one local session on TikTok and I'm pretty sure it's going to be mentioned in, in other sessions as well. I have to jump into it as well in my sessions, but there will be definitely be at least one panel with people in Suriname who are already active on TikTok for business to business or business to consumer use. So we have some quite successful people on TikTok in Suriname. Like when we talk about creators, we have a lot of, of successful creators on TikTok. When we need to find successful creators, could you give us more content to see it follows? Yes, that's why it's kind of everybody, everybody above 50,000 followers, in my opinion, already has some kind of success. It, whether you've monetized your success or not, whether you've gotten brand deals out of it, if you have like over 50,000 followers on any platform, I mean, even 10,000, like 10,000 is, is an incredible threshold to have already, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, it's, it's, it says something like for, for instance, for YouTube, 10,000 is, is a very important threshold. I think a hundred thousand is where you get the play button, but 10,000 is already where you're kind of like really in a partner program with YouTube. So I think if, if you're already at 10,000, that's already a success. And if you're at 50,000 on any platform, that means like you've, you've at least achieved something, not saying that you're ready for brand deals or to become an influencer or anything like that. But just in, in measures of understanding how the platform works, you figured it out. Gotcha, 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 that makes sense. Thing else you want to highlight now, uh, the tease for the conference. Oh yeah, I mean like, I mean, the previous two years have been like virtual. Like, yeah, but so we have virtual, so there are some speakers who are returning to the conference, but have only spoken virtually, but have never been to Suriname. And I think my favorite speaker, even he's not my favorite speaker, just to say like, Hey, he's coming to Suriname, but he's like my favorite speaker from the social media marketing world in San Diego is speaking at the social media conference in Suriname this year. So that's already for me, like a very big win. And like, if there's one session that I feel like everybody should experience at least once. It's, it's going to be Mark, Mark Shaver's session. Definitely. Yeah. I, I had a inclination that it, it would have been Mark Shaver. So yeah. uh, it's confirmed. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you're going to get the official announcement on, on social media, on, on social media, so you're going to have the social media channels, but I, I can't confirm. And he's not the only one there. At least. <laughs> there are at least, well, there are four, four international speakers coming in from the U.S. already. Oh, right. Yeah, it's already, that's, that's a lot. That's a big increase. Yeah. Yeah. So what else, any new avenues? I know last year we briefly touched on, you know, the Web3 NFT space uh, through the art space. Is there going to be an expansion on that? How, how it is? That development to take on content. So, so Mark already has his own coin on Rally. That's one of the platforms that has kind of this, this tokenized coin system where you can kind of get into like the, the economics of crypto already. And um, he's one of the, the keynote speakers that already is kind of dipping his stones in, into crypto and Web3. Another speaker that we're finalizing is really specializing now in NFTs, in the NFT space, but I can only disclose it when it's finalized. So there definitely will be some Gen Z stuff that we'll talk about as well, especially Web3 and NFTs. 
I think we last year we spoke about NFT and ours. This year it will be more NFT and marketing. NFT or Web three and marketing will be the main focus. But yeah, that's that's something that that we'll definitely dive into a little bit more. Awesome. So, but I think just in general, the selling point should be. It's our first in-person yeah, in, in three years. Well, our it's... yeah, you just you just have to be there because it it will be two straight days of just high value. And I mean, the ticket price. I don't know if people know what the ticket price of social media marketing world or inbound like the big conferences that I look at in the U.S. Ticket prices are between. Above a thousand US, fifteen hundred to two thousand US. So if you pay a tenth of that, I mean that's like, and what you get in return, it's it's definitely worth it. And even if you just think the community pass, you don't get the recordings, you don't get food every day. I know food is important, but hey, like if 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 you're loans, if you're low on cash, you need to strap bootstrap. Just take the community pass. Community pass now is going for, I think, a little over fifty dollars, which is a thousand SRD. And trust me, you cannot get a trading or one-on-one trading session with me for that kind of money. So basically you're getting a conference where at least 20 speakers will be speaking for an amount lower than what you would have to pay me to get a one-on-one session with me. Just just to put it into perspective. Yeah, and it's a bang for buck, I would say. Yeah. All right, and this is gonna be October 27th and 28th. 27th, 28th. Yeah. So, so are you going to be back as part of the crew? Can can uh, we like promote you now to to more important role? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. We we have an open the conversation, so you're open okay. conversation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. So people, if you're joining, you will definitely see Diego as well. He will have his own fan section. Don't worry about it. But got it. <laughs> So make sure you're free as well. And oh, no. another thing, another thing that's interesting is that it's also interesting just to come to Suriname in that area because there's a Suriname Jazz Festival happening that weekend. Mm. And the day after our conference at Turarika, there's the Food Events Cookout as well. Which means mm-hmm. like if, if, if you would need a long weekend to come to Suriname to enjoy multiple things. Get a great alignment of the events. Yeah, on, uh, exactly. Now I let to entertainment, great food. Food, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, got it. I think we covered some pretty cool stuff here. It's time to close it off this episode with, uh, you know, over-unders. Oh, yeah. So I think at the end of time, I think we can do three each. You have to do three quick ones. Okay. So you want to me to go first? Yeah, pick us out. Okay, social media challenges. I would play social media challenges a bit more on the underrated side now. I actually have not seen a good challenge in quite a few years, actually. Even what was the last one that kind of globally was it the ALS challenge, the water bucket challenge, or was the mannequin challenge after that. I think the it's puppet challenge. That's the most vivid one I could remember that's recent. But yeah, I, I wouldn't place the social media challenge underrated now because I haven't seen a, a, a good one in years. So either people got boring or people just got just got so normalized that you know people are challenging. It's challenge. hard to reach everyone. Like the challenges are there, but they don't reach everyone. True. The, the, the algorithm has screwed things up. Fair point. All right. Over, overrated, underrated TV commercial in this time of social media. So are you talking about TV commercials on TV or the production of TV commercials? The production of TV commercials. Oh, yeah. I, I still think that's properly rated. Properly rated? Yeah, I think it's properly rated. I think it's it's a little overrated as into understanding like how much impact it still has on television. Aside for if you're making the commercial for the Super Bowl, and 
uh, it's so it's a little bit underrated on still Holly Porter, like good quality content. Like even if you make the best micro content, it's just not as good as a Google television commercial. Like the, the television commercial is like the epicenter of the highest marketing creativity there is. Like there is no one social media post that all does a television commercial. The television commercial, if your television commercial gets less response than a meme on the, on, on social media, you're screwed. Because <laughs> you've raised you've raised a big pile of money on something that could have been just a meme. Yeah. But but if you really go all out on your television commercial, the production of it, yeah, definitely. It's it's still it's still the highest achievable level of creative uh, of of a commercial creation, if you ask me. Okay. Fair point. Fair point by uh, both of Yeah, social media challenges are now converted to TikTok trends. That's true. Uh, so which brings me to the next question, which is overrated, underrated, dancing on TikTok. This is a lot of people consume that content and no offense to you if you enjoy that mindlessly. But for me, it's overrated. Personally, for me, as it my type of entertainment, yeah, it, it's overrated. But I can understand the people who find enjoyment and validation. But for me personally, it's way overrated. Next one, Canva. It's hard to call Canva underrated. It's hard. There are so several use cases where it's still underrated. Canva has grown tremendously. Canva videoing. Canva video is insane. First of all, it's insane. But I can't call it underrated. I you have to imagine. Like what? What's your history with Canva? How long have you been using Canva? I actually use Canva, or do you still use Photoshop? I don't use Photoshop, but I actually made an account on Canva before it went public. Like I think Melanie Perkins was still in conversations with the PTs or or, or on on the management. So I was in the early early uh, beta beta of Canva. So I, I I've seen the the changes it went through. I've never actively used it, but now I am considering like looking at how it has evolved over the past two, three years. I can see it as a huge time saver and the amount of resources it has, even for the features, see teams, uh, people, I think they just introduced teams now. So you can make separate. Uh, I've been there for a while. Profile, everything. Yeah, I've been there for a while. It's really. It's really easy to use. It's, it's so, I think that basically the drag and drop easy to use. If as long as you don't have to work with layers, if you have to work with layers, if you have a basic understanding of design and how what, what good design looks like, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I it's just yeah for me personally. So I've been with Canva since I think. Guy Kawasaki, the reason why yeah. I was already used it, but Guy Kawasaki was chief evangelist and I've been following Guy Kawasaki for quite some time. So that's kind of my, then I started using it. As well, well. When I saw that, the relationship, I like, okay, I got it. I did it. Yeah. So, so that's where it started out for me. Okay. Now I lost my train of thoughts from my last over under, which was going to be a really fun one. Do while you think of it, I'll throw in a curveball. Fast fashion and social media. Or Sorry, what? Fast fashion in the social media context. I have no idea what we're talking about. Fast wow. fashion. Like, you know, in the Netherlands, yeah, seasonal fashion, but uh, they, they make styles for like a month or two and then they recycle. But uh, they do something else uh, to make a new trend. Yeah, for me, that's, <laughs> that's over commercialization. And I have to be careful with that because I have friends and family in the fields of fashion, but I still feel in some cases that, that it, it, it goes a little bit too far. And just so you know, I almost jumped into that trend. 
I side, I put it, I put it aside because of the book. But I was looking at ways to have like a, a TikTok style T-shirt that changes color when you're in the sun and when you're out of the sun. So I was looking at that, but I decided like, okay, that's something that uh, probably is the next step. What we do after because it was taking too much time for me <laughs> to be, to do personally. Now I'm really upset that I forgot about the last uh, overrated, underrated, but. <clears throat> Let's keep it easy. Mr. Beast production studio. I don't even think we can get that rating in this in a category of its own. <laughs> As in, if you haven't seen it, just Google Mr. Beast tour and other channels that done tour. It's just insane the amount of money they actually lose money on the production now of some steps just to make a point or video uh, that 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 stage in his wealth and career that can just, you know. And basically it's kind of rivaling Warner Brothers. It's going to be at a certain point that you're, you're going to be able to do a, a paid tour of the Mr. B studio. I mean, we're, we're definitely getting, we're definitely somewhere getting to that point. And, yeah. and I think it's. It's interesting. It started off with PewDiePie being bigger than corporations, like complete corporations in, in, when it comes to impact. And the way Jimmy has grown in the past three years, it's insane. It's insane. It's, it's, it's complete insanity because he's almost past PewDiePie already, like in subscribers. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's PewDiePie still active. And yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are the algorithm phase be out of PewDiePie? <laughs> no, I think I, well, the only PewDiePie videos I see now are, I think, Luai or the Reddit kind of videos or reaction videos. Yeah. I think I only get to see reaction videos from PewDiePie now. But, and also Mr. Beast only puts out once a month. Yeah, and the, the, the schedule just changed drastically as well. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's getting to this ex insane production it's really like creating but but also fast-paced videos like i also watch sidemen for instance where like if it's a, a, a travel episode it can go on for like two hours like one and a half two hours whereas mr beast is like this fast pace okay move on to the next okay move on to the next okay and within 15 minutes you're done and you're like wait there was 15 minutes of video that would have cost $2 million. Like it's insane that $2 million just goes into a 15 minutes video. And it completely has changed. I always speak of the fact that Will Smith and Jason Derulo get together for a day with a camera team and a crew of like 10 people just to film TikToks. And yeah. then you get to the level where Mr. Beast buys a million dollar studio create youtube videos it's like we're getting to the point where and people are not really like especially people from older generations are not really yet understanding the impact of what this is doing which is another reason i'm, I'm writing this book as well I, I was these are definitely thinking these are definitely things that i do want to talk about to to put things into perspective awesome so we want to read that very soon do we have a, a release date no, this. No, we're not gonna disclose anything. Okay. Yeah. But if you're coming, if you're joining us for the social media conference, you have, you will be fun to hear about it. Yeah, and it's alpha to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's not. It's a free plug. But if you haven't already, make sure to check out socialmedia.sr because the website is live has has gone live this week. So socialmedia.sr this year I just check through it and you have to be there uh, if you live in Suriname you have to be there if you're watching outside of Suriname and you want to be there just fly over yes just fly over because it's going to be worth it as well and this year is the first year that every session every time slot has at least one session in English to make sure that international participants can participate as well awesome yeah. with that being said thanks for tuning in 
we are getting a rhythm back up on social convos. So we will be back next week for a fresh new episode. And with that being said, uh, the other episodes will be slowly rolled out over the this week as the production, post-production pipeline has been set up again. So yeah, we're getting there. Awesome. This was Social Confos. See you back next week. Same place, same time. Bye-bye.